What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of The Burner Account. I'm your host, Alex Flock, always beside my co-host, Jack Iciello. Jack, how are you doing today? Alex, I'm, I'm doing well, man. It's been a, it's been a tough week, but uh, hanging in there and uh, glad to be back on the podcast. Very true. Uh, I, I have to agree um, with both sentiments. Uh, it's great to be back. Uh, it's also been an extremely tough week for all of us. Uh, I'm hoping, if you'll allow it, Jack, that uh, we can start this episode uh, a little different. Um, just wanted to double check that with you. Yeah, for sure. Excellent. So, uh, when Jack and I decided to start this podcast, uh, I think you and I both hope to give some people, particularly close to us, we didn't expect to get very many listeners, uh, just some entertaining distractions from the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, in many ways, we wanted to talk sports in order to escape our reality. But the truth is, we cannot run away from what is real any longer. Uh, by now, I think it's safe to say that everyone has seen the very disturbing video of George, George Floyd's murder at the hands of the Minneapolis Police Department. Uh, I've struggled to come up with the right words to talk about since I saw that video. And I've tried my best to compose something here that I know won't do the situation enough justice, but we'll, we'll give it a shot. Uh, I thought University of Missouri football coach uh, Eli Drinkwitz, formerly at App State, said something really important here. He said regarding the situation, this isn't political. This is a human rights issue. Uh, and then proceeded to march with his team down to City Hall to make sure that his players were registered to vote. This country has more than enough political issues. And we try our best, you and I, to stay apolitical on our show. But this... This is a human rights violation for a police officer to so nonchalantly have their knee on a subdued suspect for nearly nine minutes as he pled for his life while three officers watched. There's no, nothing rational or humane about that behavior. The murder of Breonna Taylor, the killing of Ahmaud Arbery, the list sadly goes on and on and on. It highlights a tremendous problem and that is, as much as people don't want to talk about it, racism is ingrained in our daily lives. American systems and institutions are not engineered for the successful advancement of communities of color. That must change. We must change. I must change. We must listen to our brothers and sisters. We must listen as they educate us on their struggle. And we must do everything in our power to ensure that basic human rights are never stripped away from people of color ever again. I cannot stress that enough. If any of our listeners haven't watched Emmanuel Acho's series, Jack, I'm sure you're familiar with Emmanuel Acho, NFL player. Yep. Uh, his series, Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man, I highly, highly encourage people to do so. Uh, his first episode addresses some very broad topics. The one that I took note of the most, though, seeing all the hateful words hurled at this movement, was why Black Lives Matter matters. And I like to think that I inherently knew that Black Lives Mattered, but to hear him speak about it clarified so many things that I just really hadn't considered. Black Lives Matter does not mean that all lives don't matter. I, and I have so much... I've struggled so much not understanding why other people don't get that. If we lived in a neighborhood and your house was on fire, should the fire department come to my house first? No. If you were hurt on the side of the road, Jack, and needed me to call 911, would the paramedics check that I was okay first? No. Of course, lives matter. But right now, the black community is showing 
strength in the face of flaws that have been instituted by this country since before its inception in 1776. No, no lives matter until black lives matter. I want to be very clear. If anyone has a problem with the black lives matter movement. You, you have a huge problem with me. I, I want to be every bit a part of the solution to this problem. And personally, I'm committed to listening and learning in order to be better educated on social injustices in our world and to the unaffiliated looters taking advantage of our brothers and sisters, peaceful protests to incite violence, which has been significantly plagued by white supremacy groups. Get the fuck out. We're done with it. I'll end my soapbox here with a poem that means so much to me by Martin Niemöller. It's always been very relevant to me personally, considering the Holocaust, and I think it's exceptionally appropriate today. It's called First I Came. First they came for the communists, and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak out for me. May we never again stand idly by while our brothers and sisters are in distress, and may we understand that even when people distance responsibility for those issues, that we have the duty and the obligation to stand up for what is right in the face of social injustice everywhere. Yeah, Alex, I, I, I think that's a really touching and, and fantastic message. Um, sort of, a, as you said, I mean, it's been a week of reflection for a lot of us, and I, I know that's certainly been true for me. Um, you know, I, I wasn't engaged enough. I wasn't vocal enough on, on the issue racial injustice and police brutality. And I'm just trying to learn and do better moving forward. And I really hope that we can all do the same. Um, you know, I kind of want to get your thoughts on this, but I've been especially interested in the reactions we've seen around the sports world over the last week. Um, there's always been this fascinating relationship between sports and, and broader social movements. And, and I think we've seen that. You know, Roger Goodell issuing an apology on behalf of the NFL for banning player protests during the national anthem. Um, players in, in all major league sports protesting and donating their time and resources. Um, it, it's a good first step. Um, but the one that I, I simply cannot get over and quite possibly was the most controversial of the week what was the statement made by Drew Brees. And um, I think probably everybody's heard by now, but if you didn't see the story, Drew Brees was asked in an interview what he thought of protest during the upcoming NFL season. And I, I think it's fair to say that Drew Brees shocked everyone when he responded with, um, I have the quote here exactly, I will never agree with anybody disrespecting the flag of the United States of America or our country, end quote. Um, you know, awful statement, uh, just so incredibly tone deaf. And uh, he, to be fair to Drew Brees, he did issue an apology multiple times. He's, he's committed himself to being part of the solution. Um, my fear is that it's not the last time we'll hear that argument. Um, just as, as, as late as last week, we saw NFL players saying they will protest this season. Adrian Peterson, you know, said, we're all, we're all ready to take a knee together. And uh, sports have, have always been a, a powerful driver of social change. And I think it's something we're going to need to pay attention to head to the, the NFL season this year. I think that's a great point, Jack. Um, I, I completely agree. I was in many ways just really caught off guard by Drew Brees' statements. Um, Drew Brees 
uh, far and away one of the most philanthropic athletes um, time, doing so much for the New Orleans community, for the country, especially um, in light of the coronavirus pandemic. And to hear him say something that was just so ignorant to what's going on right now, um, just it, it it broke my heart, but to be honest, it it was just really confusing. It, it came out of left field, um, and it, you saw it as as well as I do. A lot of athletes took uh, took offense to that and and cracked down hard on hmm. it. Um, even in the locker, yeah, right, right. Yeah, I mean, your guy Malcolm Jenkins was one of the most vocal uh, about it. Yeah, um, like you said, uh, Drew Brees has since apologized um, and. I do think his apology was, was genuine. Um, I do think it, it does highlight a fear that you mentioned, and that's other people probably do feel this way. Um, and how vocal are they going to be about it? Uh, right now is just a very important time uh, in our country. And a lot of people have flacked on our generation as being a generation of, uh, you know, sayers and not doers and i think this is really a time where we can all step up together to stand alongside our brothers and sisters to ensure that they never feel like their lives are threatened uh ever again because this is just this is unbelievable um this is the stuff that you read about in history books that you'd never expect to really happen and i think that that going off of your point jack is something that you know, I've had to check myself for, um, you know, it's just being blinded to what's going on. Um, we can't be blind anymore. Um, just because it doesn't or might not affect us personally doesn't mean that we don't have a stake in the solution. And I think it's time that we all engineer our efforts to being an active participant um, in encouraging that solution, encouraging those conversations, even the tough ones. Um, and it's not going to be easy. Um, you know, we're going to slip up, uh, and it's important to understand that that's okay. Um, anything that we can do to better ourselves is going to be better for all of us in the long run. Yeah, exactly. I think we all, we all need to have some perspective here. Um, it, you know, it did shock me that Drew Brees, who, who's, who, works in a locker room full of black men would never have had that conversation with any of them before. Um, you know, I, like you said, I, I think his apology was genuine. Um, and uh, moving forward, we need to see whether he, he backs up what he says with his actions. Um, and we'll see where he at, where he's at on, on Sunday during game day um, when that national anthem's played. We will. We, we, it will definitely be a storyline to, uh, to be mindful of. And I, I thought the thing that was also, uh, good for Drew is that, you know, at, by all means, this is the time to stay off Twitter. But I just I keep finding myself going back to President Trump's Twitter just because it's I, I keep thinking that he can't say anything dumber than the last thing he said. Um, and then he he goes <laughs> to the defense of Drew Brees and Drew checks him on Instagram. Um, and I thought that that was a really important step for Drew, um, especially as his perception is concerned. To your point, Atkins are going to speak a lot louder in this case. So, you know, what he's going to do from here is going to matter more. But I did think it was important that he checked uh, our country's leader um, and saying that he leads is 
extremely, you know, <laughs> vague because um, he he doesn't. Um, but I thought that that was a, an also uh, important for step and uh, and Drew kind of bringing his ideas full circle and saying like, no, we need to we need to focus on this being a problem and how we can make a solution for it. Uh, I definitely agree. And I mean, protest is not leaving sports anytime soon. It's, it's been around forever. I mean, one of my favorite examples and Alex, you and I both got to talk about this when we took um, some history courses with Matt Andrews who studies this stuff, Mm -hmm. but Tommy, John Carlos raising their fists during the national anthem at the, uh, the 68 Mexico city Olympics. Mm -hmm. So um, we're, we're going to see that those protests come back. And I, and I think this time around, we all need to show our support. And that starts with myself. I, I need to do a better job. And I, and I plan to. So true. Um, absolutely. And I, I'll leave it right here. The, the other thing that's really bugged me, too, is that, you know, you had people like Ben Shapiro, who I, I can't stand Ben anymore, to be honest. Um, and some others that have, you know, gone out of their way to say, like, OK, sports is becoming way too political. Sports have always been political. Like, let's, yeah, no, like, that's not an argument. Like, don't even come at me with that. Sports, you and I, as good as anybody, with Matt Andrews at UNC, know damn well that sports have been the stage for so much political demonstration since it, for easily at least 100 years. I mean, and that's just the Olympics. Like, we barely talked about, you know, whatever, you know, Michael Jordan at the, you know, um, at the Olympics in, in Barcelona with the Dream Team, putting the American flag over his Reebok gear because, you know, he, he wasn't going to promote Reebok. Um, you know, 1936 Olympics, you know, Jesse Owens, you know, in Berlin. The, politics have been an ingrained part of sports for well over a century now. And to say that yeah, politics yeah. is too ingrained in sports is, is wrong. Like, of course, it... it it is in sports. Like sports are political. You know, they've always been political. It's oh, not ab- going to change. Absolutely. And Matt Andrews actually has a podcast. It's called the agony of defeat. Um, for anybody who's listening, if, if you're interested, Matt Andrews dives into this topic much more insightfully than either Alex or I could do right now. So well, he, I've listened he, to a couple of his episodes and they're really, so. <laughs> yeah, he, he does it with Jonathan Weiler, who's in the global studies department and they're really good. And it's, it's, um, it's fascinating. So um, it's 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 a top it's a link that I'm interested in and I know you are as well, Alex. So I'm I'm glad we got to touch Definitely. on it. Definitely. Well, having said that, uh, Jack and I felt that it was really important for us to uh, express our support for the uh, communities of color uh, to make sure that both he and I are promoting the same message in terms of inclusivity and support for our brothers and sisters. Having said that, Jack, how do you feel about jumping into the rest of this episode and getting into the content? I'm, I'm ready. Sounds good. Yep, Sounds good it. to me. Well, again, each week continuing with our mission in uh, evaluating and analyzing different NFL divisions. Figured we'd flop this week to the AFC South since we did the NFC South two weeks ago. We're going to use those same four characterizations. Jack figured we would just go back and forth on this. This is a very interesting division, uh, to be honest. It is. So I'm very curious. Who did you have your as your division winner? Then I'll go with my division winner. We'll go back to you for the wild card. Yeah, the division winner was uh, I had I debated this one for a while, but I ended up going with the uh, the Indianapolis Colts. Actually, all right, all right. Um, finished seven and nine last season. 
you know, they, they had a lot of injuries. T.Y. Hilton, their star wide receiver, was essentially hurt all year. Marlon Mack got banged up. There was no Andrew Luck. Um, you know, he retired. And uh, they were just a below to – they were a below average. And um, I expect that to get a lot better. They added DeForest Buckner, excellent back. My hedge for the Colts to take the AFC South um, rests on the fact that I, I do think Phillip Rivers can still play. Uh, the Colts have one of the best offensive lines in the entire league, whereas the Chargers had one of the worst. Um, I, I looked this up. The last time they were ranked above 26 out of the 32 teams in team blocking grade was in 2014. Wow. So they're really bad. Um, and, and I like the moves that the, the, the Colts made this offseason. I really like uh, head coach Brett. And I, I think people are underestimating how good the Colts could be here um, if they rely on the run game and, and give Phillip Rivers the, the time to make plays with his arm. Uh, I, I think they, they can be good. I think that's a really good argument. And I, I know you love Frank Reich, too. I mean, Philadelphia Eagles, right? So I think that's a very fair uh, yeah. fair connection there. Uh, I, I went with the Tennessee Titans, um, the, the AFC division wild card, or not the AFC division uh not the AFC division, the AFC wildcard team last year and ended up being the AFC runner-up. I really like the Titans to win the AFC South this year. Uh, loved your argument on the Colts, and I'll get to them in a minute, but I thought Ryan Tannehill showed up big time in place of Marcus Mariota. I think they have one of the most explosive running backs in the game right now in Derrick Henry. A.J. Brown had a really nice rookie season, surpassing the 1,000-yard mark. And I really liked what Johnny Smith, the tight end, uh, put together in place of the injured Delaney Walker, who's was weighed by the team uh, going back about two months ago now. They did lose Jack Conklin in Cleveland, but they drafted Georgia tackle Isaiah Wilson, who should easily slide into that right tackle spot. I thought they absolutely stole LSU corner Christian Fulton in the second round, and he'll be expected to replace Logan Ryan. Uh, they drafted App State running back Darrington Evans in the third to replace Deion Lewis. They beefed up their defensive front with NC State defensive tackle Laurel Murchison in the fifth round. I really loved what Tennessee's offense or uh, offseason looked like this year. I think they did a good job replacing some missing pieces uh, or pieces that at least left uh, with some really good youth. And I think they're shaping up well to win the AFC South crown. They really came into form last year, uh, especially in the playoffs. And I think that the pressure is going to be on them to uh, to make a move to win the division this year. So you took them as your division winner. I took them as my wild card. Well, we'll flip-flop um, that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're, like you said, there's a lot to like with the Titans. Um, they're coming off that hot season. And, you know, stunning the Patriots and the Ravens in the don't playoffs, that's me, big. Don't, but don't <laughs> uh, problem, my problem with the Titans is Derrick Henry, he carried the ball 386 times last season, including the playoffs, which was by far the most in the league. I don't think that's sustainable for a second season. I, I still think he'll be good. Derrick Henry is a very good running back, but I don't know if he's maybe repeat rushing title good. Um, and I think the Titans will have to rely on Ryan Tannehill to win games. And I, I like Tannehill. He's, he's a fine player, but, um, you know, I, I don't know if I want to bet the house on Ryan Tannehill. And I, and I think Phillip Rivers and the Colts are just a little bit safer bet. That's for fair. The Tennessee Titans sure did bet the house, giving Ryan Tannehill that massive extension. This offseason, they did. I flipped yeah. with you. I went with the Colts, and again, th- this could be one that is decided by a game late in the season. Uh, again, really tough call, but I like the Colts here. Again, thanks in large part to being at full health and having Philip Rivers, like you said, a quarterback. 
as we've touched on in previous weeks, Darius Leonard's one of the most best young linebackers in the game right now. Defensively, they'll also get safety Malik Hooker back, who spent last season injured. Uh, Indy's still going to have the services of linebackers Anthony Walker, Bobby Okariki, uh, who came on really strong last year. They still have edge rusher Justin Houston, I believe. Uh, and they still have good young second uh, secondary personnel headlined by Rocky Sin, one of the best names in the league. Uh, the Colts, to your point, True. also added DeForest Buckner. Again, what you already said he's an absolutely devastating pass rusher, and he's a stalwart in the run game. Uh, Marlon Mack, again, great year. I really like adding Jonathan Taylor, too. I think that's going to help the Colts keep fresh legs on the field. Uh, they did lose Eric Ebron, who, as we saw, really changed the trajectory of his career uh, in Indianapolis versus his time in Detroit. Uh, they still do have Jack Doyle, though, and some other weapons outside, uh, including a, a healthy T.Y. Hilton, which is going to make a huge difference as well. Uh, you know me. I, I like Jacoby Brissett a lot. But just being honest, I think Phillip Rivers gives this team an edge that they haven't really had uh, since prior to Andrew Luck. Um, I, I really like the Colts as being a solid 10-6 and wildcard team here. That could mean 11-5, and five, you know, if they win a close one against Houston or another divisional game. I think 11-5, and 10-6 and six is where both of those teams live. And right now, I just give the Titans a little bit more of an advantage. So give me the Colts for the wild card. Yeah, and I think it's important to, to note that um, Frank Reich was offensive coordinator for the Chargers for a few years, and that was probably four years ago uh, well, with Phillip Rivers. So they're familiar with each other, um, and I, I don't expect too many hiccups there. Uh, we'll move on to the first one out. Um, Houston Texans. I mean, poor Deshaun poor, Watson, poor, right? Poor Deshaun Watson. Uh, to be fair, for as much as I like to make fun of Bill O'Brien for being a really dumb GM, which he is, uh, he's still 52 and 44 uh, as a head coach. So it's not awful. I just can't overlook the poor personnel decisions this offseason, which was really led by, by the trading of, of DeAndre Hopkins to the Cardinals. Um, I, I think Deshaun Watson is good enough to make up for the incompetence. But um, I just predict that the Texans are going to fall short of, of the Colts and Titans. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you with the Texans. Um, the phrase I kind of gave the Texans when I was doing my analysis was, oh, how the mighty have fallen. Uh, Texans going from first to third uh, here uh, in the AFC South. Don't get me wrong. Like you said, the, it's a very talented football team. It's just their offensive line is far from great, I think. They made the acquisition of Duke Johnson last year with high expectations that Duke was going to be a transcendent talent, but it seems to be the running story with Duke Johnson's NFL career that he's always competing for carries. Last year it was uh, Lamar Miller and Carlos Hyde. This year it's going to be competing with David Johnson, who they got in the, we'll call it the infamous DeAndre Hopkins trade, if you will. Uh, you know, you still have Will Fuller, who's shown a lot of flashes when he's on the field, but it, he has such a a big injury history and it's a big time question mark. They did add Brandon cooks in a pre-draft trade as well and signed Randall Cobb in free agency at full strength. That's a really solid uh, trio of wide receivers with fuller cooks and Cobb. Uh, but nevertheless, like you said, Deshaun Watson still needs time to throw the ball and Bill O'Brien has been inept at best at providing him with that protection. I love JJ Watt. How can anyone hate JJ Watt? But in recent years, he's gotten such a bad case of the injury bug. And it's extremely concerning for a guy who's over 30. 
their defensive centerpiece, Whitney Merciless, got a really nice extension back in December, so they'll still have some production there. They still have Bernardrick McKinney alongside Merciless. They did lose DJ Reader uh, to Cincinnati in free agency. Like it was mentioned, uh, the Texans have taken a few steps back, as, as you pointed to, and I think it could very well cost them a chance of making the playoffs. So we'll see. Um, I know you kind of gave kudos to Bill O'Brien. I'm much more cynical about Bill O'Brien. I don't think he's doing a very good job. I think numbers one, two, and three on the priority list should be protecting your best asset, which is Deshaun Watson. And even with trading for Laramie Tunsil, they, they haven't done that. Yeah, I mean, he is a he's he's a dumb GM, and um, I think the Houston Texans would be better off if they moved away from him. But I think he's a better head coach than GM. That was the only point. I, that it's I was a, it's a fair point. I'm not, um, I'm, not, I'm not giving you crap for it. Don't worry. Okay, yeah, but um, the, the one thing that is going for the Houston Texans is that they get to play yes. the Jacksonville Jaguars sure. twice a year, and the Jacksonville Jaguars are my seller. No, no, no shit. Um, let's just. <laughs> Yeah, exactly right. I mean, if this team wins more than like three games, I'll be shocked. I, they're so bad that their own players are advertising themselves to other teams on on social media. Not great. Uh, Not great. You know, it, to be fair, yeah. I mean, and and Gardner Minshew is the quarterback. He he is better than I think we all expected him to be. But the Jaguars need their franchise quarterback, and one of the best QB prospects possibly ever in Trevor Lawrence is entering the draft next season. Um, if I were the Jaguars, I would only run QB Neals <laughs> all season. I'd put like running back Leonard Fournette at like middle linebacker and, and guard new Minshew at offensive tackle. I'd have a ton of fun with it. Um, and the, the, I mean, my point is that the Jaguars have to do everything in their power to lose games next season. And to be honest, hiring me as, as head coach w- would be a great first step. Just saying. And I could help probably charge that. a lot less than Doug Marone is charging. So. Absolutely, really, absolutely. Like, that, like, I I would do it for just a million bucks. A that, million. Be I, uh, when I was in uh, my freshman year, when the Panthers dropped, uh, when they cut Steve Smith, I wrote a letter to uh, Jerry Richardson, uh, suggesting that I could be their GM uh, instead of Dave Gettleman for fifty thousand. <laughs> so uh, I'll I'll be the head coach of the Jags for fifty k, and uh, I mean I. Walk over Dave Gettleman. No, I, I think most people would. My Madden teams look a lot better. Yeah, no, I, I agree <laughs> with you uh, with the Jags on the cellar dweller. Nothing to really see there. Um, they're not a very good football team. Like you said, I think Gardner Minshew uh, definitely turned a lot of heads. He was a lot better than people thought he was going to be. I personally was with Gardner Minshew from his time at Washington State uh, his last year of college. So, I mean, that mustache is just electric. So, um, still, though, even with how good he True. was, it wasn't close enough. Um, DJ Chark proved to be a really young, bright NFL receiver uh, with his talent last year. But again, not enough. They've traded so many of their players that I think they have about 40 draft picks the next two years. Um, this team is clearly in rebuild mode. And the only threat they're going to pose is other teams' odds for a top pick in next year's draft. So I, I agree with you. I think um, – if they're not 139,000% uh, in on Gardner Minshew, which I don't think they should be, um, you got to you got you, you to try to lose every game for Trevor Lawrence um, because outside of that, I mean, you're going to be in the cellar for a long time. Agreed. And uh, so, so it looks like we, um, 
we flip flop on on two teams here on our division winner and our wild card, which which has been a consistent theme every every week we've done this. I think we've always had uh, two teams flip flopped, which uh, I like that. That's it's some far variety and four straight correct. So. Right, that's right. But let's keep rolling here. So, Alex, we've got a couple of big names left in free agency in the NFL, um, headlined by by Jadavian Clowney and and Cam Newton. Yes, uh, we discussed these guys episode a few months ago, but any thoughts on uh, maybe what's taking so long or or where they may end up and kind of yeah, you, you know, um, the Jadavian Clowney situation has puzzled me uh, a lot more than than cam newton's Clowney's had no short of shortage of offers dolphins made an offer browns made a sizable offer hell the the eagles apparently had conversations with his agent too uh correct me if i'm wrong but uh yeah Cl- i heard that too pat um and it seems like his market is softening by the day maybe teams are realizing that he's just not quite a top tier player i know we've we've kind of talked about it in the past guy who's never registered double digit sacks in the season um I don't know, but but right now my money's on him returning to the Seattle Seahawks on a short-term deal with hopes of securing a long-term payout shortly after. Uh, Melvin Gordon's agent should probably give Clowney's a call because they can both use a cup of coffee and some help to keep their clients happy. Uh, Melvin Gordon notoriously sat <laughs> out last offseason with the hopes of getting a contract extension, uh, did not, and is now on a two-year $16 million deal, far less than what he was hoping for with the Denver Broncos. Cam Newton. Uh, the more time wears on, the more I suspect that Cam Newton will not be a New England Patriot, as much as I hoped for that uh, and suspected a few weeks back. Uh, while Cam has advocated hard to return uh, to a starting role this coming season, he seems to have taken a step back, expressing a willingness to take on a backup quarterback role, which I think bodes really well for him. Um, truthfully, I still think he'd fit in really well in New England. I'm shocked that Joe Flacco got a backup contract faster than Newton. Hell, the, the Jaguars signed Mike Glennon instead. Like, seriously? Like, Mike Glennon sucks. Like, give me a yeah. break. Um, and that's just putting it lightly. Like, Mike Glennon has done nothing in the NFL. Like, there were games where when he was with Tampa Bay, he would be like 6 for 27 with 211 yards, two touchdowns, and four interceptions because he would just throw the ball to Mike Evans all 27 times. And the one time that Mike <laughs> Evans wasn't triple teamed, he would catch it. Um, if I, if I yeah, he's second stab at guessing Newton's landing spot, give me the Redskins. Um, Ron Rivera loves the guy. He could really be a unique mentor to Dwayne Haskins. Um, there wouldn't be any pressure on Newton to do very much otherwise. Um, with guys like Mike Glennon and Joe Flacco getting signed before Newton, um, I could see Cam not getting a contract at all, uh, and that's really disappointing. But for now, we'll say we'll say Washington and see where that goes. What about you, Jack? Yeah, I mean, with Cam, it's an interesting case because I, I think it has just been a product of the shutdown. Team doctors haven't been able to evaluate him, get a good physical. I think when things open back up, um, he, he will get signed somewhere. Um, and to be honest, I, I don't have a good guess of where that was that's going to be. Um, last time I thought the Jaguars made a lot of sense, but I'm not sure that helps the Jaguars on their path to landing Trevor Lawrence. Uh, the Redskins are, are a really interesting one. I hadn't thought about that, Alex. Uh, so that uh, Cam Newton's going to be someone to keep an eye on. With Clowney, um, I don't know. I, I agree that I do think he comes back to the Seahawks. Uh, Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk reported that the Seahawks had offered one year for $15 million. Um, There were some rumors that the Browns offered one year for $18 million. 
I, I just don't know what he's looking for. He's probably, I mean, probably a, a, a larger contract over, over two or three or four years. He's not going to get it. He's going to have to take the, the best offer on the table. Um, but I, I do agree in that. I think he, he goes yeah, back I mean, to the Seahawks. Clowney's not old. Um, you know, he, he'll still be in the market for another big contract, but it's like you, you haven't registered a season with double digit sacks. You're supposed to be one of the league's top tier pass rushers. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of what have you done for me lately? Um, and teams are becoming more reluctant to pay for that and what you're going to do in the future. And it's just very much an unknown. Um, Clowney's had an injury history. It's no doubt about it. So definitely something to, to keep note of. Jack, transitioning forward, the, the NBA, MLB, and NHL, uh, all three leagues that have been suspended as a result of the COVID pandemic, uh, they've all made plans to return to action. Uh, or at least have taken steps in the right direction. MLB, we're giving you the the floor for that one. Time to time to get the the wheels turning uh, to return to action in 2020. Uh, how do you see these decisions panning out in the long run, Jack? Yeah, I mean, it's it seems like just even in the last couple of days, there's been a ton of development. I, I think the NBA has made more progress than any of the other pro sports leagues. With the MLB, I mean, I saw that the league submitted a plan for an 82-game season. Uh, there was a huge salary cut involved. Um, and I think their new proposal as of yesterday was a 76-game season, which would start on July 10th, but still includes the same cuts to salaries, which the, the um, MLB Players Association rejected the first time. So I don't know why they think they're going to accept it this time. Um, and they were pretty significant salary cuts, too, on, on top of the fact that players are only getting paid for – for half a season's work. And I remember uh, Blake Snell, who's a, who's a pitcher for the Rays. He came, he came out in May and he said, you know, I'm not playing on a reduced salary. And people got really mad at that. And I don't really understand why. I, I think he's well within his right to weigh the risks, just like any other human being in any other occupation and decide whether it's worth it for him. Um, and I hate when people pull out, you know, the entitled millionaire card because, I mean, nobody's doing their job for free. And, and let's be honest here, there, are, there is some risk involved. Um, it's, you know, being a, being a major league pitcher is difficult. Uh, he has to get his body. There's a lot of work that goes into it. He has to get his body right. Um, so, I don't know. The MLB is, I think it's, it's very much up in the air. Do you have any thoughts? I on, think you're on spot baseball? on. Um, the MLB has the biggest question marks and I'll get to that in a second. Really quick. Did you catch uh, the match with Tiger, Phil, Peyton, and Tom? I like it highlights of it. Awesome. I didn't watch the whole uh, thing. Mitchell and I watched the whole thing start to finish. It was so exciting. It was so much fun. You had Phil Mickelson giving, uh, golf lessons here and there. You had Tom Brady, uh, Bertie ironing a uh, uh, on, I think it was hole eight uh, for a hundred thousand dollar donation from Brooks Kepka. Uh, it was honestly, it, it quenched the, the thirst of students who have been itching for something exciting over the past few months. Um, I thought it was awesome. And quite frankly, I think it opens the door for a lot of very similar things. I mean, Given Last Dance, who wouldn't want to see Michael Jordan, you know, on the golf course now? Steph Curry is a very notable golfer. Um, and Phil and Tiger have such an amazing rapport with each other. It's It was so, so much fun to watch. Um, States, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, well, I was just going to say, I know the NBA has sort of flirted with the idea of 
how are we going to make how are we going to make this more interesting? And I know we were talking about the MLB, but I just wanted to add this in. Mm-hmm. You know, they're talking about miking up players or importing crowd noise into the arena. I, I don't know. I don't know how you recreate a playoff atmosphere without fans. And I obviously agree there should not be fans in attendance, and that's for everyone's safety, players, coaches, fans. Um, and I think they're trying their best given the circumstances, but I don't know. I'm just I'm having trouble getting excited hey, I'm, for I'm it. With you. I'm, um, I'm, I'm, and, I'm and right we can get you. it. Um, you know, states are. And I think especially with Orlando, I mean, it's going to be in a completely, you know, quarantined environment, Um, you know, whereas Florida, you know, being one of those states that's really relaxed their stay at home orders. I don't think Florida ever actually had a stay at home order, to be honest. Um, Most states are now going into, quote unquote, safer at home orders, which has led to most teams at least opening their facilities for individual workouts. I actually think that the NHL has the most tangible plan thus far, um, minus the host cities uh, that they've discussed, which are still in the determination process. I think NHL commissioner Gary Bettman and his staff have done a fabulous job putting together a really concrete plan of attack. Um, The MLB really doesn't have much of a plan. Um, They're just shooting for for Independence Day. Right now they're, they're... not even 30 days out on that. Um, so the MLB really needs to keep uh, keep going. Um, my notes actually had that the NBA was still a work in progress. But since um, last week, the NBA is officially a go at Disney World uh, in Orlando, Florida with 22 teams. I think it's kind of weird um, just with the teams that they're bringing out. They're only bringing out the contenders, which I think is totally fair. I think it's just, you know, some teams do get hot at the end of the season, spice things up. I think it's 13 teams from the West and nine teams from the East. So honestly, the Celtics are going. That's all I really care about. Um, it's going to be very interesting. I, I'm excited to see live basketball back, but we'll see. Additionally, we, like you said, we still don't really know whether fans are going to be allowed at events. Um, and if they are, to what extent Texas, a state with some of the most relaxed laws during the pandemic, is planning to allow fans at 25% capacity at the outdoor venues. That readily eliminates fans at basketball or hockey games. Uh, baseball would be acceptable, uh, and I'm sure the Texans could open the roof of NRG Stadium to qualify that as an outdoor venue. But the truth is, none of us know the answer to this. Uh, and it's even harder to speculate what will happen without mixing politics into the discussion even further, because you only know how the governors and you know the commissioners of each league are going to be you know, debating what the best way to go about this is. Superficially, I actually think that the NHL has the best plan and the best odds at succeeding right now. Uh, I think once they have the locations uh, in store, the fact that they're going to be doing like a round-robin tournament for playoff seating before case uh, is super cool. I think it's going to be really exciting, especially for people like me who enjoy watching playoff hockey. Um, I think the second we see a spike in cases, though, um, for coronavirus, it's all going to be over in many ways and could end up being a major setback in the return process. Yeah, I think that's true. And, you know, you, you mentioned what the what the NHL is doing. The, the NBA had a chance to, to kind of spice it up, maybe do something innovative. And they really didn't switch up the format at all, at least for the playoffs anyway. I mean, it's still one through eight seeds. The only thing they did was if the ninth seed is within four games of the eighth seed, they'll do a, they'll okay. do a play in series for that final spot, which I, I it gives, you know, the, the teams on the bubble a shot um, with less games to play, but I would have liked to see them do something else with the playoffs. Um, it just, it, it, there's nothing really exciting about it. And uh, there's just so many logistical issues at play here. I, 
I'm sort of of the opinion, and I know it's a hot take, especially as much as I love sports, but I, I'd rather see teams get a full off season and just start in October. When they, so I hope it is by then. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, as much as I hate to I say it, I, I, I tend to agree with you um, just because, you know, I, Celtics were playing really well this year. I'd love to see them at least try to contend. But at this point, it's it, it's not the same. I mean, a home court advantage, you know, a home ice advantage too. It's it's going to be very weird, but I, I do commend the leagues for uh, putting together some really interesting plans. Um, and I, I, like I said, I think the, the NHL's plan is very innovative. Uh, I think it gives outside teams and bubble teams a much bigger chance to uh, get a piece of the pie. And, um, you know, again, for the teams that aren't contending, they say, hey, sorry, we're not going to we're not going to take you. Enjoy the offseason and we'll see you next year. So I think it's a cool proposal and we'll certainly see how it goes. Yeah, yeah, it's a uh, it, it's fun to watch. And um, I think we both agree that the MLB has, has quite a ways to go here. Um, they're, they're not they yeah, have no plans they're, laid they're, out they're at behind all. the times and, and Rob Manfred better get his stuff together. Yeah, they're struggling a lot. Um, but let's yes, sir. move into our the final hot segment, indeed. which is the hot corner. Uh, the hot corner. And this week we'll touch on three NFL teams that we think are uh, maybe a little overrated heading into the season. Um, Alex, you can go ahead first, and, and maybe we can have a discussion sure, about well, uh, each one of our like choices. My, uh, so I did number three, number two, and number one. Uh, I think you're going to like my number three team. Uh, and no, it's not the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, yep. A team we were- um, I'm going with the Dallas Cowboys, um, and it, it, it hurts because Ooh. you and I both love C.D. Lamb. We loved the pick. Again, he was our favorite receiver in this year's draft class by far. Um, we also understand that it was a big-time luxury pick. I mean, you already have Amari Cooper. You have Michael Gallup, Ezekiel Elliott, Blake Jarwin, Tony Pollard. The Cowboys have weapons. Um, Lamb's going to fit in really well, but they have so many other needs to address. Like, who's going to be – getting the ball from them. You know, the Cowboys signed Andy Dalton, the backup Dak Prescott, but what if Dak's contract doesn't get done? You know, it's, it's still a question mark. Will he still play under the franchise tag? Maybe. Um, I think most people would lean toward yes, but I'm not hundred percent sold on that. Dak and the Cowboys have been playing this cat and mouse game for months and it's likely going to cost Jerry Jones a lot more money than expected. Imagine Patrick Mahomes' extension in Kansas City getting done before Dax. That's going to be a really bad look on uh, on the Cowboys' part. Cowboys lost Byron Jones in free agency. They did draft Trevon Diggs from Alabama, which I think is a good replacement. But Byron Jones, we know, is one of the top corners in the league. It's definitely going to be a spot to be mindful of in the Cowboys' secondary. Um, and despite having such a talented trio of defenders in Demarcus Lawrence, Leighton Vander Esch, the Wolf Hunter, we both love that guy, and Jalen Smith, extremely talented. Uh, they didn't really scare anyone last year. Uh, offenses didn't have a whole lot of trouble putting up points on them. I really don't expect that to change this year. They did win the NFC East by the skin of their teeth uh, last year. And like you said, with Mark, Mike McCarthy being one of your hot seat coaches, uh, this could be a very weird year for America's team. And uh, quite frankly, I, I'm not sold on the Cowboys either. Wow, that's a good one, Alex. I it's music to my ears. I mean, I'm always down to shit on the Cowboys. Uh, you know, I I, I generally like the offseason they had, but um, who knows? I mean, they they could be a little bit overrated. And it's funny you mentioned it. I almost put the Eagles on my list, but then I started to think about it, and I was like, nobody's actually overrating the Eagles right now. I mean, they were they were a bad offense last year, and uh, I think they have a they have a lot to prove. If anything, yeah, they, they could be a little underrated. Before you jump in, I mean, like um, the Cowboys. So, 
you know, a lot of people think that they're like a 10 and 6, 11 and 5 team. And on paper they are, but last year, what did they go? 9 and 7 or 8 and 8? Uh, okay. they were they were 9 and 7, I think. They tied with the Eagles, right? Or did they go 8 right. and 8? So I think you're right. They went 8 and 8. Team. And, you know, could that be a byproduct of Jason Garrett? More than anything. But, you know, you mentioned like Mike McCarthy could be on the hot seat this year, even in his first year. Uh, the Cowboys do have a lot to prove. And I, I just, it's, it's going to be, you know, let me see what you can do on the field first. Um, Cause I'm, I'm done being sold on paper. It's a good one. Um, so I, I, for one of my teams, I okay, took the, okay. the San Francisco that's a, that's 49ers. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, we know the defense is elite, but I don't know. Can they plow their way back to the Super Bowl again? I'm not so sure. They lost key contributors to Forrest Buckner and wide receiver Emmanuel Sanders. And that's a tough division, too. I mean, I think the Cardinals are, are better this year. And I think the Rams will have something to prove after a very lackluster um, last season. I, I could see a big year coming for Jared Goff, to be honest. And uh, so I'm not as high on the Niners this year. I think it's going to be tougher for them to, yeah, to repeat I, what they did last teammates year. teammates have come to his defense with Jimmy Garoppolo you know, only did so much, you know, down the stretch. The 49ers were really able to rely on their run game, particularly with Tevin Coleman, Matt Breida, and uh, Raheem Moster. Moster's still there. Coleman's still there. Jarek McKinnon is still there, and he hasn't played in two years. Matt Breida, though, one of their biggest contributors, is gone. He's in Miami now. So it's going to be interesting to see how that trio works uh, in committee with each other. I love your point on the Emmanuel Sanders departure. Um, we're going to see, they, they did draft, um, was it, uh, Brandon Ayuk in the first round and they did take Javon yep, Kinlaw Law as well, but yep. DeForest Buckner is one of the most established defensive tackles in the game. It's going to be really hard to replace him right off the bat. Exactly. And I, and I'm, I always fade, you know, the, the Super Bowl teams and, and that's hard to do with the chiefs, but I think it's a little easier to do with the Niners this year. I'm just not sure they're going to be as good as they were, were last year and they, they were very dominant. Either, so. So my number two team uh, is actually the Houston Texans. And it's really hard to call a team um, that I don't personally have making the playoffs overrated, but they did win the division last year. So I think it's important to note that in general, the Texans are a very winnable team. uh, And I think in in many cases, they're overrated heading into this year. As we noted before, uh, the Texans have lost a lot more than they've gained, regardless of what they put on the field, though, I personally have zero faith in Bill O'Brien to get the job done. Uh, his biggest task, again, like I said earlier, should be to protect Deshaun Watson, something that he has impressively failed to do time and time again uh, in a league where coaching counts for so much. The Texans have so little of it, and I think it makes them a prime candidate for a setback type of season. So I'll take the Texans as an overrated team. Yeah, I mean, there's so much pressure on Deshaun Watson to get it done this year. And, and I love Deshaun Watson, but uh, he's got a lot to overcome, especially without, you know, one of the best wide receivers in the league on his team anymore. Um, I took the Green Bay Packers as one of mine. I, I discussed them a little bit last week, but, you know, the Aaron Rodgers era, is it's closing in Green Bay. Uh, when the Packers took QB Jordan Love in the first round, I, I think that told me everything I needed to know. And I'm, I'm predicting a, an ugly breakup between Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. And, and I think the Packers are going to miss the playoffs this year and uh, finish behind yeah, both I, the I know that the I Bears. had the Packers um, in my wild card spot uh, back when we analyzed the NFC North. Uh, I actually do have the Packers as my number one most overrated team this offseason. Um, speaks exactly to your point. You know, you get every opportunity to get Aaron Rodgers more weapons, uh, especially young weapons at that. And 
you still felt obliged to drafting Jordan Love in the first round, as good as the Packers were last year. They've regressed so much the past few months. And you and I both like the Vikings a lot more, too, um, to make moves in the NFC. So the Packers do need a lot of help, like you said. And I think Matt LaFleur might be in for a sophomore slump of the season if they can't get that help from somewhere and could lead to a very ugly breakup between the Packers and Aaron Rodgers, which would be very disappointing for one of the best quarterbacks in the history of the game. So Packers were my number one. Who's yours? Uh, my number one was Ooh, the uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Like and I, I know. I'll give you an opportunity <laughs> Listen, to take it back. I know they'll be good. I mean, I call. But, 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 I, I'm not taking it back. I, I think I have a team. Come on, Jack. Okay. So, right, so, so, hear me out here. I mean, I, I I know they'll be good, and I called them a double-digit win team. So I, I think they're I think they're going to make the playoffs. I mean, that that's not even a question. But I think people's expectations are too high on on the Bucks. Um, it seems like they're universally being taken to win the NFC South. And I expect some growing pains here with the with the 42-year-old Tom Brady. I mean, um, I, I know you're high on both Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, and especially in fantasy leagues. And, and I, you're not the only one. I mean, that, that you have very good points for why you like them this year. But I don't know. I, I think the offense is going to change a lot, and I don't think it's going to change in a way that's going to benefit either of those two guys. Um, I, I just – these are all big reasons why I think the Saints will win the division again. And – you know, given how, how people are discussing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers right now, I, I think that does make them um, one of my most overrated I'm, teams. This podcast was going so well until then. I'm just. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, I can't, I can't. I miss know. An opportunity it to take just a seems shot at like you do it out of spite now. Like... Hey, I didn't, I didn't, true, I didn't put the I, Patriots the on Patriots here. Aren't being I actually, I mean. No, I actually well, think they're one of the most underrated teams. So if we do a segment right, well, uh, on that, I'll include that. So them and make knowing you feel right now who two of your most underrated teams are, I think that gives me the upper hand. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Well, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, thank you very much. You just heard from us analyze the AFC South. Also talked about the landing spots for Jadavion Clowney and Cam Newton to present free agents uh, still yet to be signed. Jack and I also discussed in our Hot Corner topic this week three of our most overrated teams heading into the upcoming NFL season. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for joining us on this episode of The Burner Account. Once again, I'm your host, Alex Flock, alongside my co-host, Jack Iciello. We appreciate your time, appreciate you tuning in, bearing with us for our absence this week. Please be kind to one another. We need it now more than ever. Jack, I'll give you the final sign-off. Yep, thanks everybody for listening. Um, Let's all stay involved and stay engaged, and uh, we'll catch you next week.